standing as we uh, read uh, God's word. Our scripture this morning is going to be John 18, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, open up your Bible to John 18, 1 through 11. The word says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priest in the parables, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken. Of whom, of those whom you have given me, have I lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into his sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just in awe of who you are, the majesty and glory that you left in heaven and come down on this earth and endured the pain and suffering of the cross, the wrath of a holy and righteous God. I thank you, Lord, that you took on our shame on the cross. I thank you, Lord, that you rose victorious over death. And I thank you, Lord, that you give us a new life. I thank you, Lord, that you give us victory. I pray that you would be this morning in our service, Lord. Draw us close to you as we open your word. Your Pastor Jimbo, as he preaches your word, give him boldness. And Lord, may we be changed as we leave this place. Deeper in love with you. Fire in our souls for you, Lord. And this we pray in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and grab your seat. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 18, as we've already uh, read a little bit of that. We're continuing in the gospel according to John, but let me first say, happy Valentine's Day. All right. Well, thank you. One person. I'm just kidding. Right back at you. Um, well, um, you know, on Valentine's Day, one of the things people love to do is propose. More proposals happen on Valentine's Day than any other day of the year. Sometimes proposals don't go exactly as planned, right? So mine, I thought I was going to be super creative with, with my wife, and, uh, and so I said, here's what I'm going to do. Is she loved postcards at the time, and so I made up these postcards and got them printed up, and it's like a scavenger hunt, leading it from spot to spot. Man, it was on point, all till the end, right? And so at the end, I had this tape recorder, and, and I had recorded our song, 
And then uh, some, some other, me saying some things, some different things on this thing. And it was taking her to this spot where we first kind of hung out at this park and this gazebo overlooking this real pretty spot. And, and the, the goal was to get her into this gazebo to listen to, and then the, the tape recorder would be there and she could press play and, and it would say some things. And then I would come out on one knee and propose and we'd dance. And well, that would have been great if it had gone that way, right? And so... So I, it's like nobody in the world makes me more nervous than my wife does. And, and so I was so nervous that I thought, let me listen to the recording one more time just to make sure that uh, it's got everything it needs to have on it. And, and so I'm like hiding in the bushes. I'm listening to the recording. And I hadn't timed it out right, right? So I thought it would take her longer to get there. As I'm listening to the recording, she's pulling up and like walking towards the gazebo. And I'm like, oh, this is horrible. And so I think, all right, I can just soft toss the recorder and it'll land on the table. We'll be good, Right didn't happen. I soft toss or not so soft toss. It like lands, falls, hits the seat of the, of the thing and like goes under the table. So I'm like, well, maybe she'll see it. Cause there was like a thing. I think I had a sign that said press play or something like that, but she sees press play, but there's nothing to press play on. Right. So there's this thing under the table. So I was like, I literally from the bushes was like under the table, <laughs> the tape recorder under the table. So it lost all its smoothness real quick. Right. So she gets it, and it works out, and, and, and everything went fine. There's another story I heard of recently of a guy who decided that he would uh, take his girl to Wendy's, right? Real classy. And so he thought he'd take his girl to Wendy's and get her a Frosty and put it in the Frosty, put the ring in the Frosty, and that she would find the ring in the Frosty, and then he would propose. Here's the problem. One, problem number one, Wendy's ain't the spot, Right? Like, I love Wendy's, great place, you know, good 99 cent double cheeseburger, whatever you like, junior cheeseburger, but like, there's a lot of good things about Wendy's. It's not really like the, the romantic proposal spot. So that was probably mistake number one. Mistake number two is Frosties are cold or hot? Cold, right? What does cold do to your tongue the more you let it go across it? It numbs your tongue, right? And so if you were to perhaps be drinking a Frosty with a ring in it and you'd already been drinking it for a while and your tongue was numb, you might swallow said ring, right? And so this is exactly what happened to Reed Harris and Caitlin Caitlin Whipple. Uh, A few years back, she swallowed the ring. And she had to go to the hospital. It took her two days to get the ring out of there. So she said, we're getting married in June when Frosties melt. So the problem is that the problem is Reed chose the wrong cup. He chose the wrong thing to put it in. I mean, there's sweet things, champagne, grape juice, anything, anything other than ice cream would work much better. He chose the wrong cup. Today in our story with Jesus, we're going to talk about, towards the end of the story, choosing the right cup. See, Jesus at the very end of the story that John just read us, he, out of John, he tells us that Jesus said something about a cup. And he's talking about a cup of God's wrath. And see, here's the thing, is Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that we could drink the cup of God's forgiveness. But so often we choose the wrong cup. So often, instead of just trusting Jesus, we end up drinking the cup of God's wrath on our own, thinking that we can swallow it in our own power, but we have no idea what we're drinking. And so I want to look at the story today, and I want to see there's just some fascinating things out of this story. And so first off, I want us to look at the setting of it a little bit. Um, It talks about it's in the Kidron Valley 
Um, here's why that's significant. All right, so that's significant because we're going to see so many things about God's sovereignty and control in this story, right? It seems like a chaotic, scary situation, but we see so much of God's sovereignty, so much of his control. See, he doesn't get nervous like I got nervous, right? See, I was so nervous at my proposal that I, I messed the whole thing up. Jesus doesn't get nervous, even in the midst of great turmoil, of, of great, th- incredible, huge things happening. He doesn't get nervous because he's in control. See, this Kidron Valley is significant. If you looked in the Old Testament, you would know that David, whenever he was being betrayed by his son Absalom, he crossed the Kidron Valley to get away. You would know that this is where, uh, during Passover, whenever they slaughter lambs in order to prepare for, for, for Passover, that the blood runs into the Kidron Valley. The word actually means dark or cloudy because of a lot of the blood that goes into this part of the river. And so you, hear, you have the real Passover lamb. In this garden. Now here's also what's significant. It's in this garden, right? Why is that significant? Well, gardens weren't allowed in the city limits of Jerusalem because of the fertilizer would make it unclean. And so it couldn't be in the city limits. And so wealthy people would have these gardens kind of outside, but not too far outside because it's Passover and you can't go uh, too far outside of Jerusalem during Passover according to Jewish law. And so it's, it's within that limits. And we also see that it's a place that Jesus went to frequently. We see this is a place he went to often. This is where he went to pray. So what this probably means is that there was some wealthy benefactor that owned this garden in the Mount of Olives. And whenever we read and it says, and he went off to the Mount of Olives, this is probably where he went. And that some wealthy benefactor gave him access to this garden. And this is the spot and the setting in which we see all this happen. And so we also see an emphasis on prayer. We don't see it in this passage, but we, when we look in Matthew and Mark and Luke at the story here, the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we see that this is, this is a, a massive amount of prayer that Jesus goes into. After we just got through John 17, which was all about prayer, we now get into John 18, which the background of the story is Jesus praying to prepare for the cross. And so we see that the victory was won not on Calvary, but it was won on Calvary, but it was fought in the garden. And so, with that being said, I want us to take another moment to pray before we dive further into this passage of Scripture. God Almighty, I am so blessed to have the opportunity and the privilege of looking at your word. Lord, I'm praying that by the power of your spirit, I will divide it rightly. That you will speak louder than me, that you will... Use the words of your scripture more powerfully than you use my words. But that you will also give me words to say, Lord, that it will penetrate hearts, that we will not just hear and and let it come in and go out, but Lord, that we will worship you through your word. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray, amen. So the main idea for today is Jesus is sovereign even in the midst of betrayal. That, that word sovereign means completely in control, right? And this is what's fascinating to me out of the story. Look at the first five verses. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Here's what's crazy is with Judas, how close we can 
seem to be to Christ and yet be so far away. You know, you could come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. You could do all the right things. You could not do all the bad things. You could, you could live the whole thing out and no one would ever know that you didn't even really know him. When Judas walked this for three years, he, he, had, he wasn't just one of the 5,000 disciples. He, he had intimate time with Jesus in this garden. Enough to know that this is where Jesus would be. See, Jesus wasn't hiding. He went where he was every night that week. Every night in Passover, they stayed in this garden. And Judas knew he would be there. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. This could be up to 600 Roman soldiers. It probably wasn't 600. But the the word here used is talking about a unit that's about 600 Roman soldiers. It probably wasn't 600. But it it was a significant amount of Roman soldiers and Jewish religious officers. And they're coming with weapons and torches. The Roman soldiers have swords and then the Jewish officials would have clubs. And they came to get Jesus. And then Jesus, and this is this is the verse that See, here's why this verse is significant, verse 4. There are a lot of people that like to talk about Jesus in all sorts of ways. And sometimes people like to say, Jesus is this great guy, this great activist, this great teacher, this wonderful person that once walked the earth and he kind of got himself in some trouble and ended up getting crucified. As if it just kind of ended up that way. But see, if we, if we think that Scripture is true, if, and here we do, if we believe that every word of this is inspired by God and it's inerrant, and that this is exactly what happened, that this is, this is how it went down, if we believe this, then verse 4 tells us that that can't be true. It can't be that he somehow got crucified. Verse 4 says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Knowing everything that was going to go down, knowing that how it was going to happen, no surprises for Jesus, no stressful moment where he didn't plan enough, no, oh my goodness, is it time already? He knew what was happening. He knew it was about to happen. He knew in their hands how humiliated he would be in front of everyone. Hebrews says, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he stepped forward, knowing what would happen. But here's what I love. You've got an army of men coming for Jesus, and yet he controls the entire situation. This Jewish carpenter in this garden controls the whole situation. Verse 5. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now, understand, and we're going to get more to this, where it says I am he in the Greek, it doesn't actually say I am he. It says I am. It says ego emi. It's two Greek words. And we've talked about this all the way through John because it's significant in the gospel according to John. Ego emi is, is the Greek version of what Moses says, is what God says to Moses in the Old Testament when he says, who, who am I to say that you are? And he says, I am. 
And so he says, now it's in a, now Greek has gender tones to its words, and so that's why it says, I am he's, because it's a, a male gender to the ego emi. And so add, we add that he in English, because it's almost like I am is an incomplete sentence, but it's incomplete unless you are indescribable. And, and so it's incomplete because there is no adequate word to finish the sentence I am that would adequately describe who God is. And so what's amazing is they ask, they say Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am. Am, and he makes this declaration. And they answered him, and, and, and Judas, who betrayed him, was standing there. Judas stands there, turning Jesus over. We know from other gospel accounts that he betrays him with a, a, a kiss at this moment. I want to ask you for a moment: Where do you stand with Jesus? Maybe you've walked this religious life for years, but. When he doesn't do things the way that you want them to be done, you stand with Judas, ready to see things go the way you want them to go. Maybe you stand with Peter, who in a few minutes strikes somebody and then denies him three times. In other words, you're still trying to take it in your own hands. Maybe you stand with the disciples, silent. You don't know what to do. Where do you stand? John 10 17 through 18. I'm going to go back and forth between John 18 and John 10 because I think there's some good parallels there. John 10, 17 and 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This is key. He, he predicted this eight chapters ago. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There's absolutely no surprise in the mind or heart of Jesus in this situation. Nor is there any surprise in the mind and heart of Jesus in your situation. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever is is troubling you, whatever is consuming you, whatever is driving you, Jesus isn't surprised by any of it. He stands in control. God is still on his throne, and nothing can change that. In your Bible study groups this morning, you looked at the atonement in the Old Testament, and we see here that by Jesus laying down his life of his own accord, he is the ultimate sacrifice for our atonement. He gives his own life up. No one takes it from him. Not only do we see that he is sovereign in the sense that he is constantly in control, we see that he is divine, that he is God. He is not just some good teacher. He is not just some man. You cannot read scripture and come up with that conclusion, which is why it's so important, church, that you must make a decision that... that Whatever this says, you've got to decide, is the word of God the inerrant, inspired word of God? If it is, then we don't don't get to decide what we think it means. If it is, we don't get to cross out the parts that we don't like. If it is, then we don't get to have our own opinion outside of that. We have to look at the word of God and see what it says and believe it. That's a big step, and a lot of people don't want to take that step. But I want to tell you, you don't have to check your brain at the door to do it. A lot of people say that that takes blind faith, that that takes just just being a a, a lemming. It doesn't take that. Under scrutiny, this word stands up. If we're intellectually honest, 
I've heard great arguments out there that come against Scripture. I'm going to tell you they're all weak. If we're intellectually honest, they're, they're, this is the inerrant, inspired Word of God, and that means so much. And if we see that, we see that Jesus is God. He isn't just a man. And if he is God, we have to do something with that. We have to decide where do we stand, right? Do we stand with Judas? Do we stand with Peter? Do we stand with the disciples? Do we stand with Christ? Where do we stand? John 18, 6 and 7 says, When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I love this verse. There's a lot of debate about exactly what's happening here, right? Are they, are they falling down and worshiping him? Are they so shocked by what he says that they, they fall backward? I don't know. I know that Spurgeon says it's only by the grace of God he, they didn't fall all the way to hell. <laughs> I, I, think, I think of a moment in the Chronicles of Narnia when, when Aslan and the witch go into the tent and, and they, they make this arrangement to save the boy, right? And they come out and she, she announces that the boy will be saved, uh, as long as you keep your deal, Aslan, and he roars, and everyone goes silent. But he didn't even roar. Jesus just says, I am. A lot of people like to study the book of Revelation and the end, the end times and all those sorts of things. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of different theories out there about how that plays out. I'm going to tell you, I think it plays out a little bit like this. I think Jesus shows up, and then the fight is over. I think Jesus says, I am, and that's all that needs to be said. I think there's power when, when the God of the universe tells you who he is in the best way in our language that he can. He can say it however he wants. We can't fathom it. We can't fathom it in our brains, how incredible he is. And you've got to catch this moment. Remember again, there is an army coming for Jesus. And with two words, he knocks them off their feet. I am. He is divine. They fell to the ground because Jesus is God. John 10, 7 through 10 says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is the door, he is the shepherd, and he is the sacrificial lamb. See, there are many that have tried to come through this door. There are many who have tried to be shepherds. There are those who have tried to be that good teacher that people claim that Jesus was, but they were all thieves and robbers and had their own agendas. Jesus came for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came that we may have life abundantly, and he can give that to us because he is divine. He is God. Not only is he divine... Not only is he sovereign, but in his sovereignty, Jesus protects his disciples. An army has come. We'll see later in the chapter, one of the first questions that Annas asks Jesus is about his disciples. It's one of the very first questions he asks him is about, his, tell me about your disciples. And yet, here, with an army there ready to seize them, more than enough manpower to take them all in, Jesus takes control of the situation and protects his disciples. Jesus answered 
I told you that I am he. This is the third time we see this in this passage. So, if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. This is just from last chapter and the prayer that he prayed, right? He had just prayed this prayer that he would not lose a one. And here comes an army ready to take them all. And he, he commands the army. He commands the army. You came for me. Take me. Leave these other guys. This is fulfilling his own prophecy in that prayer as well as alluding to Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 where it says they, the shepherd will be, uh, they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he protects his sheep. There's nothing in your life that surprises Jesus. There's nothing in your life that's going on. There's no amount of stress or anxiety or turmoil or situation where he doesn't know what to do. Jesus protects his sheep. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through some stuff. His disciples all go through horrible, hard times. But they never are snatched out of the shepherd's hands. They are never taken out of his hands. John 10, 11 through 13, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Yet Jesus is unfazed in the midst of this adversity. And when he sees the wolf coming, he commands the wolf. There is no one or no thing that doesn't answer to Jesus. If we don't decide to do that now in this life, we will bow the knee. But we can choose the right cup now. We can let him drink the cup of God's wrath and let us drink the cup of forgiveness. If we'll trust him as the good shepherd. And then, good old Peter. If anybody could mess up a good situation, it's our boy Peter, right? Peter loves to insert himself into things that he doesn't need to insert himself into. I think we could all relate to that a little bit sometimes, right? So good old Peter, John 18, 10 through 11. And then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, either Peter's very good at his aim with the sword, and he's so good that he could just slice an ear off, or he's so bad he could miss someone's entire head. <laughs> but here, here's what's fascinating, is at this point, chaos ought to ensue, right? I mean, you've got soldiers here, soldiers that are armed with swords and, and officials armed with clubs, and way more than there are of the 12 of them in this garden, right? And Jesus just, I mean, and, and Peter just comes out with this sword and cuts a dude's ear off. I don't know about you, but if I'm, if I'm in an army and you cut one of my boy's ears off, we're coming in, right? You don't just cut my dude's ear off and just stand there. And yet Jesus is sovereign. We know from the other gospel accounts that he reaches and he heals Malchus's ear. I got to think, what's going through Malchus's head? the whole time that they're binding Jesus and taking them to Annas' house. What, what just happened? Who is this guy? 
This isn't one of the Roman soldiers. This is, this is one of the Jewish officials who's been looking for the Messiah his entire life, who's been reading prophecies about the Messiah his entire life, who knows that people are claiming that Jesus is the Messiah, and somebody just cut his ear off, and Jesus healed it. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the rest of Malchus's story is, but I've got to think that weighed on him. Who is this guy? So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter's awfully bold here with his sword. Yet later this night, he'll be awfully cowardly with his tongue. And just next week, next Sunday, we're going to look at how Peter handles the adversity. See, I think... For many of us, it's often more attractive the idea of dying for Christ than it is living for Him. For those of us that love the Lord, we think, man, if if it goes down in this country right where they're going to start persecuting us, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to die for Jesus. And that's wonderful. Will you live for Him today? Well, of course, Pastor, it's Sunday. Will you live for Him tomorrow on Monday? Well, it's President's Day. You got the day off. Maybe you'll be able to pull it off. Will you live for him on Tuesday when you're separated by today from two days and you've got a long weekend and now you go back to work and the stress of everything weighs upon you? Will you then live for Christ? Or are you more ready to die for him? Remember in the prayer he said, Father, don't take them home yet. See, as I was sent into the world, I send them into the world. As I was a light into the world, I want them to be a light unto the world. Our call is to live for Him today, tomorrow. And every day that He gives us breath, every day that He gives us breath is a day for us to worship Him and to portray Him with our lives, for us to depend upon Him, for us to abide in Him, for us to lean on Him. But so often we want to take things into our own hands like Peter. And Jesus says, put away your sword. I have overcome the world. This is not your fight. This is Jesus' fight. And so we, we must understand that this is the mentality of Christ. Think about this. Remember, remember in the Exodus story, I mean, just as it starts, right? They're leaving, they're leaving Egypt, and the Egyptian army starts coming after them, and they, they get blocked up against the sea. And, of course, they start grumbling and, 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 and start saying, were well, there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to die? And, and, and Moses, I mean, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I think pastoring is hard. I read Exodus, and I think you guys are amazing. Moses is up against the sea, and he doesn't know what to do. And what does God say to him? Exodus fourteen fourteen. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. How incredible. Against insurmountable odds. God is unfazed. I don't know if, if I'd have asked you before you came in here, hey, do you believe that God is unfazed against insurmountable odds? You ought to have said, I believe he's unfazed. And we believe that mentally, but when we get into the situations where we don't understand what's going on, and we personally, when it gets personal, when it gets real, when it, when it really happens and we don't know, and we're up against the sea, it's hard at that moment. It's very difficult, if we're honest, at that moment to truly believe 
that God will fight for us. And we pull our sword out. And we end up cutting somebody's ear off. You know what's amazing? Even when we do that, Jesus can heal the ear. Isn't that awesome? That our God doesn't expect us to be perfect. That he knows we won't be. That he's there. That he's here. That he's got us in his hands as the good shepherd. That when the wolf comes, he's not scared. And when we are an idiot and pull our sword out, he says, put away your sword. I have overcome the world. When we don't listen and we strike anyway, he can heal the ear. Think about Peter for next week when we look at him denying Jesus three times. Think of the things that Peter has seen, right? Peter has seen so much incredible miracles. The Israelites see this and they've just seen ten plagues and now they doubt. And then all of a sudden they get to have this miracle of crossing over the sea and, and on dry land. And they see more miracles. And what do they do when they get to the promised land? They doubt. Here's what we've got to understand with that. This is why, please hear me, this is why this experience here on Sunday morning cannot be the essence of your spiritual life and food. See, it, it feels great to sit and... And I hope, I hope that through the preaching you, you hear and you're challenged and encouraged. And It doesn't matter if I were the best preacher in the world. I can't match the miracles of Jesus. I can't match the miracles done in the Old Testament, right? And even those weren't enough by themselves, were they? When we rely just on these mountaintop experiences, when we don't lean on Jesus in the hardest times, we only do it when it's easy, we'll miss it when it's hard. That's it. No matter, see, we think, man, if Jesus were to just show up, if he were to just heal this, if he were to just provide this, if he were to just take care of this, then I would trust him. Then I would worship him more. Then I would, I would love him more. Even if that happens, it won't last long, I promise. It's in the little things. It's in opening this up every day. And realizing that this is the sword you should pull out. It's realizing this is where you win battles. You win battles with the word of God. Not on your own effort. Put away your sword. Jesus has overcome the world. And he is your good shepherd. Your good father. He is the door. He is the shepherd. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He has overcome the world. Think about this. The question that Jesus asked the soldiers when they showed up was, whom do you seek? So I want to ask you three questions. One, I want to ask you, which cup are you going to drink? Will you drink the cup of forgiveness and realize that you you haven't earned it, you don't deserve it, It's a gift that God gives you because he drank the cup of wrath for you. But in order to do that, we have to realize that we are under God's wrath. We have to realize that we are objects of God's wrath, that we are enemies against God, hostile against him, and that without him coming in, without him intervening in some way, that left to our own devices, we have no hope. We will drink the cup of wrath. 
But Jesus says, let me drink it. Trust me. Trust me. Let me drink it. In exchange, I'll give you the cup of forgiveness, of adoption, of, of acceptance. Follower of Christ, where do you stand? Do you stand with Judas constantly arguing against Jesus, constantly wanting to see things go your own way? Do you stand with Peter and in the midst of turmoil you pull out your own sword and try to solve it yourself and only letting Jesus come in and mess up your mistakes after you've made them? Or is it so bad that the other disciples are silent in this situation? What did Exodus 14, 14 say? The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. A couple of weeks ago, I challenged you. I don't know if any of you took me up on it. I challenged you to, to take one hour and practice Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. If you haven't done that, let me challenge you to do it. Take one hour, especially if you're in a time of turmoil, especially if things are, are stacking up against you. Take one hour and just sit somewhere. Don't take your journal, don't take your Bible, don't take your phone, don't take anything. Just sit and think about who God is and what He has for you and what He's done for you. An hour sounds like a long time, but I think you'll be blessed if you do it. The last question I ask you is whom do you seek? Judas is leading soldiers and officials, but all of them are lost. The soldiers approach the light of the world with torches in their hand. They find the true Passover lamb preparing himself for the sacrifice in the valley of Kidron, where the blood of the sacrificial lambs is currently flowing. They enter the garden to find the true vine. They have come looking to catch the Jesus of Nazareth and were caught off balance by the great I Am. Who is it that you seek? They armed themselves with swords for violence, but the prince of press disarmed them all with just a word. Peter pulled his sword to make the fight his own, but Jesus has already overcome the world. Who do you seek? Do you seek somebody that can solve your problems, or do you seek somebody that can save your soul? Jesus can do both, but so often we just seek him to be a problem solver. We just want him to make things better, right? We just want him to fix the situation. We just want him to get us out of the bad times. We've got to realize that he has something greater for us than here. This isn't our home. This isn't where it all happens. Trust me, you don't want your best life right now. You want it whenever you get to be in glory with Jesus because that's where it'll be. Let's no longer seek one who just solves immediate problems, but let's take those immediate problems and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, even if you don't solve this, I'll worship you. I'll serve you. I'll sit silently because the fight is not mine. It is yours. And then I will be sent out into the world and I will be a shining light and I will be salt and I won't be silent. I'll be bold. And I will share with others what you have done for me. In the midst of a intense situation we see Jesus prays with his father and that he sovereignly controls the situation this is the Jesus we get to serve and worship and love
Let's pray. God Almighty, Lord, I'm so grateful. So grateful to read a story about your arrest and it not be a tragic story. That there is no fault in you. Lord, I pray that I pray that we will choose to drink the cup of forgiveness, that we will trust you, we will give our lives to you. Lord, that if there are those in here that have not done that, Lord, that they would do so today. In Jesus' wonderful and powerful name I pray, amen.